Today's author for our second chapter is Zachary Sheridan. He came from the far land of South Australia and he's now in his second year studying the performance making course at WAPA, which I've had the great pleasure of, study, a great pleasure of studying as well. He's a very, very, I'd say, active artist. He's very passionate, active in the sense of political activism, social activism. Not, not, not crazy, but, you know, in this year's Fringe, you might have catched him in Come On Down, 600 Seconds, and, and what else? <laughs> um, you had one more. Uh, I worked with uh, Tim in Passengers. Passengers, that's right. Yeah. Passengers at the Noodle Palace. Mm. Yeah, so we have, I'd say, a very young, fit, passionate artist. And to see not only Zach and many more fine, young, passionate artists, Zach is going to be a part of the solo stage, Moments of Being. It's a collection of solo performances done by the second year BPA students. And that's going to be performed at the Enright Studio from the 10th of May to the 13th of May. Now, here's a catch. There are two programs of these solo performances. See, Wednesday the 10th at 7.30pm, um, you get to see Program A, and also again on Friday the 12th of May at 7.30pm. And then on you get to see Program B on Thursday the 11th of May and Saturday the 13th of May at 7.30pm. Mm. I think there might be more performances, actually, but they haven't updated the... I hope they are. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I was, I was reading it, it's quite short. And plus, they will be um, de- um, under the guidance of Sam Chester, who is herself a remarkable artist, and I hope one day that she'll be writing a chapter. Yes, she is. Sam is definitely an artist. I'm not sure. You're labelling me an artist, but I, I don't know about that. But I think, for me, out of all the people I know, I think you're the most scholarly is that a word? A scholar. I think you're you're going to be a scholar. You're going to write many books um, because you're also you've got a double. You're getting a double degree. You got your first bachelor degree at the University of New South Wales. University of Adelaide. University of Adelaide. <laughs> Sorry, South Australia. I was meant to say South Australia, but it's weird weather because we are. It's weird weather. The weather's affecting you and me. It does, like, I get horrible headaches, and, and it's overcast, and it's early autumn, and we're looking out through a nice window. Yeah, it's nice. I'm conscious I haven't done my vocal warm-up, so... Oh. I may just do some of that. Yeah. Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very important to vocally be warm yeah. um, for these things. Zach. Thank you for coming. Thank you for and having writing me. the second chapter. I should also say Passengers was with Julia and Amy as well. I don't want to... What was that experience like? Because is it, cause I remember the last time we met, we met at a cafe last year in November. Yeah. <laughs> you have a good memory. Um, I, 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 can, I tell you, I'm a shocker for some things and then I just remember the most obscure mm. things... I can't remember some names and dates, and but I should remember. Like half of my degree is all—it's all in books. It's not my physical memory, like my knowledge. My it's just in books, you know, notes. Yeah. Which is why I tell a lot of young people to uh, write journals, record. 
And Zach's got a bloody journal here today. Yeah, I've got a journal with me just in case I forget how to speak and then I'm just going to read from it. Anyhow, yes, you were asking. Because it's, it's a wonderful... I'm not sure, like, how do you feel... Ah, this is what I was sorry, I wanted to get first. Because of Adelaide. Yeah. Adelaide and Perth. I feel like they are obviously closer than the other cities. Mm-hmm. I feel like in some, like, political circumstances we are brothers, we can be brothers and sisters in arms... Or we can be rivals. And uh, I mention rivals in the sense of GST, which I don't want to go down that path, the GST <laughs> share, sorry. But I'm very curious because I feel like Adelaide, I just watched, I think it was last week's episode of Q&A. Mm. Do, you, do you watch Q&A with... I haven't been watching it much this year. Is Tom Ballard hosting now? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. He's, I think this episode he was. Mm. And they were in Adelaide and there were... And, panels all these wonderful artists like Neil Armfield, Ursula, actually, see that's my memory, Ursula, yeah. she's an indigenous actor and writer, who else was on it, and this, you know, this wonderful smart man with glasses, who was on it, or something. But, but it was a really, really, really good podcast, and they made reference to this interesting thing in Adelaide, Mad March, yeah, what is Mad March? Uh, Mad March is basically, it's similar to Perth in that everything happens, all the exciting things happen at one point of the year, and that is Mad March. So you have the Adelaide Festival happening at the same time as the Adelaide Fringe. I think there's also uh, Womb Adelaide, Womb Adelaide, which is a big music festival, Mm -hmm. and I think the cars are racing. Not that I've taken much interest in that growing up, but the, the Grand Prix? I think oh, that's I think that's happening. Or yeah. the Clips or five hundred, I forget. Melbourne stole something a long time ago. I don't know the story. Yeah. It's like it's Adelaide um legend that we had a car race, Melbourne stole it, and now we do another car race, which is apparently more popular than the one Melbourne stole, but I'd actually oh. don't know the details. They're different racing car models. Don't this isn't this isn't my speciality. This is not <laughs> no, what no, you I'm want just... to be asking me about. But that's Mad March, yeah. Because I'm curious because there's so much going on because you've got also the Adelaide Festival, Fringe Festival. Yeah. It's just at one time there's just... Everything. Everything's going But uh, yeah, it's the same with Perth. You've got the PF happening and at the same time as Fringe World. So it's a good thing because the city comes alive. But, you know, it's also sad because for the rest of the year... Not much. Although... Perth has a pretty good art scene, I think, though. Yeah? Yeah. The, like, places like the Blue Room and yes. Pika, just as example, which are constantly, like, producing great theatre, normally independent theatre. I don't think there's as much of that in Adelaide, and certainly in the eastern states. I think it's harder to uh, be supported by such strong programs as independent, independent artists. Do you feel like with the Adelaide Fringe Festival... Because that is, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the second, the largest festival in Australia, but the second largest fringe festival in the world? Yes, it is, I believe. Do you think that's going to, do you think that's too much programming? I don't know, like, where do you sit on the fence? No, I I think it's good. Unfortunately, I don't think growing up I got involved with it as Mm. much as I should have. Like, already, I think, in the few Perth fringes I've been here and naturally been at Whopper, you want to see as much as possible. And so I think I've seen more in my two years here than I have in my whole life at the Adelaide Fringe. But I think it's really good, and the government's really supportive. I'm not sure if you saw this year, but just before the Fringe began, um, the South Australian government gave $1 million to the Fringe to like cut 
ticket prices, you know, those extra costs. So tickets became more affordable. I'm not sure if there's as much theatre in the Adelaide Fringe, um, but there, there's a lot of cabaret. I was on the phone with my mother the other night and mm. she was talking about the Garden of Unearthly Delights, which I guess is the equivalent of... Uh, what's the garden here? There's the... The Pleasure Garden? The Pleasure Garden. Yes. And, um, and she says it, apparently it's massive. She says it, that it's four times the size of the... In the Adelaide Royal Show where all the rides are. That, and that's pretty big. So it's huge. I, you know, I don't know if that's true because I'm not there physically to see it. But at least in her imagination, at least it's that big at the very least. So... Yeah, it's great. I think it's great. No, the more art, the better. You can't, mm. have, you can't have too much art, surely. So. But I think, like, because there was a survey, like the Fringe Festival, you would have gotten it, the survey for Fringe Festival artists, they sent out, and, like, you could win, like, a bottle of wine or something. You know, yeah. the, do you know the, the um, survey? How, how was your Fringe? And one of the questions was, no, I, I, I'm not sure if it's that survey. One of the questions was, do you think... Maybe it's a PF. Do you think the Perth International Arts Festival should be on during and after the Perth Fringe, Perth mm. World Fringe Festival? Because I, I, I don't know, like, I like everything. I like to see, obviously, more art, but I feel like we should have fringe time, and then we have the PF, and then as we go into winter, we have the winters, the winter um, arts festival. Yeah, I, I would agree that as a audience member mm. I, would, I would love that because for example you know fringe is happening and then and then you then you go into pf mindset but pf's already been going for a little while yes and so i i hope i'm saying that right pf i've never been i just say pf but yeah, it could yeah. be a pf um <laughs> anyhow and so i missed i missed a few things early on as part of the perth festival that i wish i'd seen uh, when it does come to programming, though, and I think there's, like, interesting discussions going on about this now, it's whether, like, you get these big international acts that come, like these massive circus um, performances, as example, mm -hmm. and they take away maybe from the local acts. So if there's anything to do with programming, there's probably interesting, like, discourses to be had with regard to... Because people, people go see like an amazing show, international show that's come here, pay 80 bucks for a ticket and at the expense of maybe not seeing some like local work. So there's, um, that might be something to think about for programming, but I guess it is what it is for now. I'm interested because as we were, because me and obviously with these things, me and Zach met before, before I pressed the big red button of recording. I find it nice how... You're from Adelaide. Mm -hmm. You came westward, not yeah. eastward. Do you see yourself having a practice here in the future? I don't know. Not, not like a heart well, Yeah, home would be great, but like a practice, an artistic practice here. Look, I have no idea. I'm still learning. I'm very much in the learning phase. I'm uh, very naive to the world. And yeah, sure, I'd love to contribute to what is already like a really fruitful art scene. But I still have a lot. Of learning to do, oh, continue no, life learning, life learning as well. But who knows what the future holds? Do you see yourself doing a, a master's degree, or you know? You know, I would I would love to. However, I think as you said, I've already spent time mm. studying at Adelaide Uni, and now I'll be one of those people with <laughs> two degrees <laughs> instead of like you know uh, the same time. I guess you could get 
you could get a master's or even more. So I should probably finish this and then go and do some practical stuff. Oh, I totally agree. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do now as well. But I, I, I totally encourage people to do it. I would love to. I would love to do. And I think, um, yeah, honours honors is becoming part of our course as well. So. That would be great. Yeah, hopefully. And if it could also sort of bridge the gap between, obviously, theory, but also more practicality. And by that, I mean to have a nice home to create more work. Mm. I think that'd be great if the, if the honest, but obviously it's, it's the old the old age problem, time and, and money, really. I wish, yeah, I just wish because I think here at Wapa it's just a wonderful home to to do risky shows, risky art, risky. But you can risk, you can fail. That's what I'm trying to say. You can definitely, I feel like, there's this wonderful environment, and I say in Perth that you can fail. Yeah. Fuck it. And that's super important because that's the only way you learn, really, by making mistakes. I mean, that's something I'm trying to learn as part of my course here, that it's okay to get up on the floor and risk and make something, not intentionally make it really shit, but uh, it happens that way. Like, you give it your best, and if it doesn't work out, then it's okay because, like, it's so much more valuable, I think, um, in some ways, because that's how you grow. When, what was the last show, can you remember, when, what, what was the last live performance that you've seen uh i went and saw a show last night so i saw um the blyden giant is dancing with the second year actors oh how how was that uh i really enjoyed it it's a it's a super hard play but i think they did a a really good job of it all things considered of like because it's it's got it is so much going on in the actual text which is really well crafted and i thought the set was awesome and the lighting was cool and the music there was this particular theme that played when the two characters i believe louise and jen or it might have been louise and jane um when they would have their scenes together there was this like lovely um theme playing in the background so all the um all the uh, like yeah it was i enjoyed it it was, so it was well compositioned yeah really well compositioned in the roundhouse and that's their first show the second year actors have done obviously so it was really nice to see like those guys and the equivalent of like a, in the same year I mean doing such a good job and and we always have to remember when it comes to like whopper shows that these these are performers in training yeah I think sometimes there's a lot of criticism uh, towards whopper shows or not a lot but like I hear it from people and I'm just like these guys they're in training and they're doing a pretty bang up job but it's funny because there's a lot to do here like there yeah. is but it's that funny trading line of we are, they are practicing our training but it's also that public element of introducing the punters, you know, paying for tickets, you know that? Yeah, I think they, I think when people buy tickets to performances from institutes, they understand that they're going to see, like, new talent who are trying stuff out, who are risking and failing, mm. and that's exciting. So you're talking to me about before, and I do want to talk about your sudden, awesome new development that... Although you are studying, you've got this wonderful opportunity. You're talking about this playwriting competition. Yeah. And you're a finalist. Yes. I don't know why, but yes. No. The competition, you had to develop... Sorry, you had to submit a... Was it a 30-minute play? And it got read by some amazing people. Who, who were the judges and panellists? Anyway. Uh, no, no, no. There was... Philip Cross, you know, the wonderful Australian actor who, who, who debuted 
I, I know Philip Quasi debuted in Broadway the role of Javert in yes. Les Obviously, amongst his many other things that he's achieved, the guy who actually wrote Blind, the uh, memory of Stephen Soul. Stephen Soul. Yeah. And uh, Dean Carey, I think, was another panelist, and Gail Edwards. Yeah, it's an interesting experience. Basically, I just uh, wrote something. Basically, I told you this so you'd have something to ask me. <laughs> Sorry. Because um, I'm like, I'm not an artist. I don't know what you're going to talk to me about. Um, but yeah, I wrote a, a little play. And for whatever reason, they've picked it to be shown in its 30-minute form. And then from there, one other play will be developed into a full-length script. But it was, it's a really cool competition. It's called The New Plot. And, and I think it's a collaboration between a company called 107 Projects and Actors Centre Australia, and they just want to bring more uh, Australian works to the stage, new Australian works with new forms. And I don't think I would have been able to definitely get to this point without everything I've learned from coming to this school and everything I've learned from our wonderful teachers and my peers as part of the Bachelor of Performing Arts. Because uh, I had this story in my mind for a while now, and I just wanted to write it before I lost it. Mm. I didn't know what what form the story would take, and then spending the year here last year and seeing so many shows and new ways of doing things, I was like, you know, I was really inspired. Like, the theatre is magic, so you can really do mm. anything. There's just so much to explore, and I was really inspired by the potential of theatre, and then I thought, yeah, why not? I'll just um, write what I have in my head. And it's gotten to this stage, so it's a weird situation. But I'm excited to see, uh, I would be very nervous to see it on stage because, you know, a lot of people say that when you go to the raw industry nights, mm. etc., that a lot of the work you make early in your career is pretty terrible. So it'll probably fall into that bracket. Oh. But, um, but still, it's good. It's good to get out. And the, the subject matter of the play yes. deals with mental health and family and consequences. And these topics, very important. For me, and I think I was initially like really motivated to write it when I was having a conversation with a friend who um, is from South Australia, and you know he's he was going through a rough time, mm-hmm. and I said you should, you know, um, see someone about this, and he said he couldn't uh, due to like how it may be perceived, for example, by his work inverted common mates, yeah. and it's just shit because I know like a lot of especially in the circles I move in where um. Like, I get to interact with these really cool people all the time. But, of course, there's still stigma attached to things like depression and anxiety, which are real things. And just because it's not like a broken leg doesn't mean it's any less real. And these are... Mm, yeah. yeah, so really, if there's anything about this play of sorts, it's that, I again, if you contribute to the culture, you put more things out there, then hopefully you, you're able to generate some productive discussion about it whatever extent ensues I feel like I really like this occup- I like see I feel like in our in this type of occupation in working in the arts mm. I think it's one of those places where mental illness troubles tragedy can be spoken with your colleagues yeah I think I think it's basically what I'm trying to say like, I do feel like the arts community it's a healthy place to work it can be a healthy place, but also cannot be a healthy place because usually some artists take their pain and they use it 
for their work. Yeah, I guess the positive thing about the arts is, you know, it's a creative, low-carbon industry. The whole idea behind it is to create and discover and explore and these are good things as opposed to other industries where you may feel like... Not my words, but for example, yeah. last week I did an interview with a student because I, I write for the uni magazine and um, with my classmate Marshall and I, we go around and we do this thing called ECU personalities where we, <laughs> we talk to students around campus on a random selection process and we met this one guy, Chris, who was... Uh, I won't say what his profession was, but he basically said it was destroying his soul for eight years. And so, but now now he's moved into teaching and it's really great. But I also think it's sometimes I hear that mental health concerns go hand in hand with being a creative. Mm -hmm. And I have no basis to say what I'm about to say, but I think that's crap. I think that's uh, a stereotype and is actually really detrimental, but... Anyway, that's just that's where I'm at now. It'll be interesting to see what Zach in ten years. I mean, that's that's the keen thing. This is for you, uh, Zach, in ten years. <laughs> yeah, so you can. Um... And Ryan, just I don't know, <laughs> get some money, <laughs> um, get a good studio. See, having said all that, I've, my career's probably failed. Um, no I'm probably, I'm probably, bullshit. I'm probably Call working bullshit. very much in. I don't know, probably a stockbroker in New York. That's what's going on. I see, I see. <laughs> Feeding I'm... the system that I dislike so much. <laughs> oh, I was wondering, see, I like watching, um, you know, Russell Brand, The Truth. He's got this YouTube... Yeah, I've seen a bit of that. Yeah. And it's, it's quite interesting because obviously and he's quite, quite a lefty. He's a lot of socialist, dare I say, communist opinions. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, fuck, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> see, I've got see the thing with me is I've got too many things going on in your brain. Yeah, too many things going on in my little head. I'll go back to my first thing that I wanted to ask you, and where do you work from? Like, so when you if you want to write, what's your process like? So if you want to create like a work of art, a, a play, for example. Yes. Do you go walking like I do, for example? To give an example, I will be usually walking out in the park, and then I'll have this image. In my head, for example, I am interested. I was watching Frasier. You know the the American. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I used to watch Frasier when I was a young boy. Oh, I <laughs> love Frasier. And I was watching a, a, an episode last week, and it's this. There's this wonderful scene with um, Frasier and Martin, his father. Yeah. And what happens is is the dog in it as well. What's the dog's name? I know the dog is always causing Frasier. Eddie. Eddie. That's right. No, he wasn't. Oh, he wasn't. Yeah. For some mysterious reason, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't in there. No, no, no. this episode. Oh, no, he was. He must have been. He was in all of the episodes. But what happened was, it's during when Daphne's married Nas, she's left. And so they've hired a new housekeeper. Yeah. And what, what happened was, Martin, they've hired this housekeeper, and she's basically not doing her job. And Martin's been covering for her. And it gets to a point where he's cleaned the whole entire house. He's, 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 he's doing, you know, housekeeping. He, he's basically become the housekeeper. And this is a man who's, you know, he's usually a, a slob, you know, not clean and not whatnot. And he's got a cane, so it's, it's quite a physical hard task for him to clean. That's why they need a house cleaner. Anyway, there's this wonderful moment in the scene where Martin, the, the, the housekeeper, isn't showing up to work. And Martin is convincing... Frasier, that the reason why 
Fraser can't see the housekeeper today was she locked herself in the bathroom and she doesn't come out because she's you know she's in pain she 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 really took it to heart like Fraser the last night Fraser was saying the cleaning's gotten awfully a bit sloppy mm. well that's because Martin's cleaning and anyway so Martin's painting this picture that she's behind this door yeah she's behind this door and she's not in it and it's this wonderful you know American comedic shtick mm. where someone's behind the store and Fraser's there it's like oh why don't why, okay I'll go in the bathroom and speak to her mom's like no 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 you can't go in there you know she's upset let me go in there and you know he quickly opens the door and he sucks himself in then he shuts the door and he has this pretend conversation meanwhile the actual housekeeper comes in <laughs> and Fraser's saying but aren't you meant to be in the bathroom and she's like what's going on <laughs> and so anyway, so you know Fraser opens the door and goes dad the That's house it. you know Blah, blah. So anyway, to get to my main point... Comedic genius. Yes, go on. <clears throat> I'm fascinated. I, from, what, from that episode, what I got was this idea about doors. About how doors, how they represent forbidden knowledge. You know, it can represent anger. Someone, Thresholds. F- liminal spaces. Yeah, that... that door frame. That yes. interesting, you know, thing about... Go fuck off. I, I don't want to be there. Or it's a forbidden door. You need a key to open a door. You know, a door... A closed door can represent many, many things like anger, love. I don't know. And then, anyway, so that's how I work from. I get this, <laughs> I'm this random sponge. Yeah. So, in a roundabout way, what is my process? Yes. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. I think, yeah, we're we're all in the we're all in the process of learning our process right now. I want to give you. I want to give you some good answer, but yeah, it's very because like we're as we're working on the solo stages at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, with each thing we're doing here and outside of opera as well, it's just like, it is learning what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And who knows when you eventually, when it comes a time when you know what works. Though I am a huge fan of knowledge and research. So if there's anything, like you called me a scholar before. I don't know if I'm a scholar, but I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate for um, just knowing, like, and learning. So... If there's any part of my process which I know is something definite, it's the feeding yourself like as much information as you can about whatever subject you're trying to tackle, and then going from there. Knowing your profession. Yeah, yeah. Or like, or and knowing what you're talking about. If you're going to make a piece of theatre, make sure you've done your research. Is what I would say. So that's a message. Ryan. A message. Do his research before <laughs> conducting. <laughs> what do you want to communicate in your work? Do you, have you, I know this is an early question, and I think all of this, I don't think, obviously, no, there's no right or wrong answer or right or wrong question. Yeah. But what, what makes you, do you have like a burning, I did mention before, political active, because I know you are an active person. Yeah, probably not as much as I would like to be. I have some really inspiring people in my life, like my classmate Noemi, who oh, yeah. who champions stuff a lot more practically than I do, and I guess... But then again, you have to... There's this filmmaker, and he made a film, and I'm going to get the title wrong, but it's something like How to Stop Worrying and Love All the Things the Climate Can't Change, or words to that effect. And I was reading an interview with the filmmaker, and he said, you got to do what you love. Like he said, if he was trying to organise demonstrations, he would give up within three weeks. 
Um, so what he does instead is he loves films, and so he loves films, and he combines that with the subject matters of our time, and he makes films about them. So, but it is it is really important to take action. Uh, on a side note, I think if anyone is listening to this interview, uh, it's 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 interesting in itself interviewing someone who's like really feeling and not knowing where they're going to. Like that's mm. that's um that could be exciting if I'm trying to give no. some positive thing for the listener to be um experiencing. I have in the past um a few months, Perth Festival had some awesome Perth International Arts Festival had some awesome shows um and experiences such as. Firstly, The Trees Speak at King's Park, okay. which I think was Borna Wanjini. And so that, did you get a chance to see that? No. So they did all these massive projections in King's Park and it's like, it was just amazing. It was, um, it spoke of like the need for indigenous knowledge uh, in the context of the climate crisis and the need for arts, science, col- collaboration 110,000 people saw it over three days. So if you're talking about accessibility, um, because it was free and the weather was really terrible as well. So it was great and that it was a great experience. And I was there by myself. So I got to eavesdrop on all the people around me and, you know, either hear little kids get excited because there'd be like this projection of a lizard crawling up a tree or, you know, conversations about, yeah, what are we going to do? And the whole thing ended with this, uh, segment called so you walked through mm. you went through um the six seasons of the Noongar calendar through these massive projections and then eventually you made your way through this like this area where there were types of plants and species that are near extinction were hanging from trees wow. um that was really eerie and quite yeah. sad obviously but then you got to this the final period was seeds for change where I think it was this massive blow-up seat. I mean, that's what it looked like. And onto it were all these people, mostly um, young kids, talking about taking on totems, because from memory there's something like 150,000 different types of species and plants in um, WA, but there's 2 million people. So if everyone adopted a totem, whether it be a certain tree or something, and tried to do something in their community for that tree, it it was really great. There was also this other thing called the Museum of Water, um, by this UK artist, I think uh, her name is Amy Sharricks, and asked us to recontextualise our relationship with water in all its forms, and yeah, just to consider water differently. So it was a publicly donated museum of water, and people would bring their stories um, attached with some water. Um, so it could be like oh, your actual tears you could like collect and take in and talk yeah. about why I cried, or it could just be water from like your swimming pool and all the family memories you've. Uh, shared from that so I was really moved by its ability to empower people to tell their stories so they're just two examples and what I what I learned from them and from the discussions that surrounded them is obviously we're at a huge point and it'll be interesting in 10 years to see where we're at as well in terms of the ecological world Mm. and our place within it yeah it's it's scary what's happening with regards to our climate but there's, there's lots of hope as well. So I think for my artistic practice, I know currently at this stage, but this is only something that's come into my mind over the past three months, but I would love... There's an organisation in England called Cape Farewell, well, the UK, and Cape Farewell brings artists and scientists together. So, like, for example, they do these expeditions to the Arctic 
with all these um, artists and scientists on the boat and they just share knowledge and then this yeah and this comes out in the artist works and it might help with the scientists doing their thing and and there's there's a need because sometimes the stats don't work we know the stats we, we know the facts of, like there's no doubt about what's happening to our environment but the shift in people and just generally isn't really there like the shift in behavior so that's where stories become important because people respond emotionally to stories and they may absolutely yeah there's there's so many yeah it's just it's really it's really hard thinking about the world's burning but um yeah so interdisciplinary works like because because you can't solve these crises these crises I should say with just one form as it were so like this and this isn't my own this is an opinion formed from listening to really smart people who say you know cannot save the planet no it can't but maybe if it combines its power with other spheres in the world then sure like absolutely it can certainly start a conversation yeah yeah um and and they do i remember the first day at whopper the i can't remember who said it would have been either julie warren or andrew lewis Mm -hmm. one of them said that you know a book piece of art i think they were quoting alan rickman it can change the world um maybe it can but yeah so that's the subject matter of our time for me is like the climate change the the need for action the need because it's really scary and yeah it's really scary and and i people need to do stuff Uh, but yeah well people are doing stuff there's so many people doing doing like great stuff whether in the artistic world and that's like the kind of things that i've just been describing and that's that's super interesting in the relationship with the perth arts festival because the major sponsors are massive mining companies so so and like you can see it in king's park there we are going through this like wonderful piece of country with such an important history and in the background there's massive skyscrapers with these companies names Mm. yeah i don't know the world now it's a funny place it's weird but it'll be interesting in 10 years time after we meet again yeah cafe (laughs) yeah um we're trying what, to make this room. In this exact same room. That'd be oh, something. That would be something. Yeah. Uh, what's the cl- climate like? See, one thing, how old was I? I think I must have been 12. See, when I was first cotton on, obviously the documentary done by Al Gore. Yeah. That famous, oh God, see, I remember An Inconvenient going, Truth. An Inconvenient Truth. Yeah. Um, that, like, I watched that with my parents and was saying, fuck, fuck. And this was back in... I think it was like 2004, I'm going to guess, around then. I was going to say 2009. No, I think 2004 sounds right. Anyway, it's like, yeah, carbon emissions. It's just mad. And what really even scared me more, although I think for, I think for us humans, there has to be some sort of scaring people to do things. But also, I think it's a balance of scaring people and also giving people hope. Yeah, it's interesting fear as a motivator for things because there's no denying that it's mm-hmm. a strong strong um, response and people act when confronted with that when it comes to this particular issue it's not a tiger waiting in the bushes especially for us privileged folk living where we do so fear doesn't seem to because it's because it's not like it's not a tangible i mean it is if you if you really look into it so yeah i think um there's this great writer on all of this and her name is Naomi Klein mm-hmm. and she wrote a book called I think it's Capitalism versus the 
climate. And 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 um and she does an interview with I'm gonna I think it was a farmer in the United States somewhere <laughs> and as opposed to fear, the farm the farmer says and the farmer's been like like destroyed by massive oil companies like ruining their land and but they, they don't stop fighting and mm. and the farmer says what they don't realise is like love will save this place, like love of the earth. So I think yeah. Yeah, trying to like generate that love, and there's like the ecosexual bathhouse, which was part of um, Fringe World. That was really cool. Mm. Um, I know that was sort of almost like apocalyptic. In, a, in a, I don't know. The, that was just one vibe I got from it. But basically, that put the human Earth relationship in a sexual context. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, so you'd go in there and there'd be like Earth porn, and then. You'd have sticking sex cooling on you, and there'd be <laughs> Earth porno magazines, and then you'd go into a room and you'd sort of like, I don't know, make love to the wind. Okay. You just had a massive fan blowing on you, basically. Oh. Um, anyway, yeah. So I put it in this context, mm-hmm. and maybe the effect of that is people act for the things they care about, the things they love. So if people can learn to love the Earth, even if that, and I think the really important thing, actually, I'm gonna, I've got a quote here. This isn't from me. So I mentioned Cape Farewell, and mm. one of the associate director of Cape Farewell is Ruth Little, who um, comes to PF and conducts all these conversations. And mm. luckily she let me um, interview her. And so she had a really quote that, I mean, all of, it, all of it's good, but um, she says that my own feeling is that art in partnership with science can help us to think with rather than about universal com- complex processes like climate change. So until we understand the contingency of all things, until we really feel what it means to be fully interdependent with natural and man-made processes, materials and patterns that we can design and influence but not in the end control, I think we'll continue to behave as though our own individual actions are either irrelevant or insufficient in relation to climate change, but they're not. We become a system by the accumulation of and feedback from individual acts, just as a hive or an ant colony do. And our technologies make possible very rapid cultural shifts in new directions. Art can push new metaphors, iconographies and social behaviours out into the world in inventive, playful and effective ways. But climate change isn't a thing to be observed and described. It's a myriad of human choices reflected in behaviours around food, finance and fuel, as well as, and this is really, really, really important, our relationship with non-human beings. Um, mm. And what she's saying there is, or at least how I take it, is you know, we, we have to recognise ourselves as part, and I think a lot of people do, and I'm not the voice of authority, I just need to clarify yeah, that, yeah, no, no. but we need to recognise ourselves as part of a really delicate ecosystem, super delicate, and from, you know, where the facts of our existence are so dependent on so many things yeah, the more knowledge that can be heard around that and, and the leadership we have on a federal level is just... Oh, that's it's just, like the lack, oh. of, the lack of understanding in, in all, like, of, of, like, yeah, our place. We're part, we're part of this animal kingdom. Yeah. I feel like we don't... We do not, as subjects, we, do not, we don't see ourselves as subjects of the animal kingdom. I don't think we, we find ourselves in a separate kingdom the human kingdom which is really interesting because i don't yeah non-human beings other animals they they have just as much right to this earth as we do 
and our ongoing consumption and unnecessary consumption and unnecessarily unnecessary violence towards them is it's horrific anyway so yeah yeah I, she's saying we need to we're part of this system very delicate system and our, our in, individual actions do have a massive effect and the responsibility is to consume as much like be informed i'm probably not as informed as i'd like to be about oh. a million things and there's and right now i know this but right. like and then and then act to the to the best of your abilities like and it's not asking anyone to like completely stop their way of living but what you can control yeah i think it's about what you can control versus what you can't i think is a good way to look at it like what can i control what's necessary what's unnecessary yeah we're at an interesting point in um humanity but i think it's exciting but i I genuinely do feel i do believe that we are right now we're living in a good time i think there's like you said before there is there's like this wonderful organization stuff is getting done yeah and i think we're slowly everyone including myself we're starting to wake up and start doing something and i feel like talking about climate change yeah, it's it's interesting um, because like there's writers who say climate change is a massive opportunity to like they try and see it as a good thing because it's a way to reshape the way humans live mm-hmm. and do away with a system that encourages the worst parts in ourselves. Like we, you know, people say humans are greedy and jealous, but I don't I don't know if these are inherent traits or not. Like, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I can't say. But I definitely think that this system that we are constrained by every day sometimes encourages in us, like, the worst parts of ourselves. Like, it wants us... It encourages individualism rather than community. It doesn't encourage listening. Listening is the most important thing. And hopefully, I'm excited with your your interviews, we'll get to hear from a diverse (laughs) diverse range of artists, and not just me, because I'm a... White male, unique, and with a lot of privilege. So can I tell you something? Because I was thinking about, because what I listened yesterday that really shocked, well, not shocked me, but it was so true. Yeah. Was, I was watching this recent interview with. Do you know the Canadian actor Donald Sutherland? He he did the Hunger Games. He was President Snow. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Donald and you know white beard, <laughs> and he did a couple of months ago on Good Morning America. They'll ask him, he was just doing this new TV series called Ice or something. Yeah. But during the, this interview, and you know, Good Morning America, it's sort of like the, you know, breakfast, you know, breakfast TV. And it's, you know, quite light and you, light politics, you know, everyone's just waking up. Yeah. And then Donald Sutton goes, I was um, doing this film with Helen Mirren. Yes. And we're shooting the scene. I like doing voices. Yeah, go on. I'm trying to paint the picture. No, I like it. Um, and, and we're doing the scene and Helen Mirren goes up to me. And she says, Donald, and sorry, I'm paraphrasing, but she goes, um, she goes to me and she says, Donald, do you realize you are the most, what was the word, um, not lucky, not fortunate, do you realize you're the most privileged person in the world? And he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't know what you mean, Helen. What, what do you mean I'm the most privileged? I'm sure I'm fortunate. I'm lucky in my career of being an actor, well-known actor, getting paid, you know, da, da, da. what do you mean? And then Ellen Marin goes to him, you're a white, heterosexual male. And he goes, and then in the interviewer, this lady, she asks, so what did you say back to Ellen Marin? And Donald Sutherland goes, nothing. Mm. I said, nothing. 
And isn't it funny? And me listening, because I am a white, you know, a heterosexual male. Oh no, I didn't think she dated heterosexual. I just added that because that's what I feel like. That's a, you know, that's that's yeah. the public, not the public. That, that is the majority. White heterosexual males, you know, and as a white man, white male, you know, it's it's just I don't know. I feel guilt, and it's like, and Donald in this interview he kept going about I feel great guilt. And then the interviewer goes about, you know, what, what do you say to your, your kids, your, your, your grandkids? And it's like, well, obviously I apologise and I'm sorry, but you can't, you, 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 you know? Anyway, I thought it was interesting because it really, for me, started the conversation of, you know, of my work about, yeah, as an artist, I think there is a responsibility to, obviously, yeah, write roles for women. Well, I can't write for an ethnicity, but help promote ethically diverse work. I think we, our place is to listen, to shut up and listen. Yeah. It's not even about us writing roles. It's, yeah, it's just, it's encouraging and, and also standing up when we see something that's mm. not correct. Yeah, I don't want to talk to you. I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not gonna like speak on anyone, any other, anyone else's behalf, but like, yeah, listen, listen, listen to these, um, to totally. people around, listen to, to those who, who have to, combat like when when i think about the history of the world and all these people who have just spent so much energy battling mm. against systems of like oppression and the adversity they've shown all that energy spent on that like imagine imagine where the world could be if if that energy had been spent otherwise like because they they had to spend so much of their time like and, and every day people do that we we don't know that, that they just have to go against these systems like but like what a vibrant world we could have otherwise mm. if we can have these yeah these fucked binaries and patriarchal systems but like, like these but these are the things probably that you and i shouldn't talk about um, no yeah sorry well and that's the reason why i didn't want to ask but i think i think i really agree what what we should do is just listen yeah and help support yeah, I think that's all we can take a step back. I, I know that's like definitely when I'm in groups of people, you just yeah listen. That's that's the way to do it. Listen, let other people talk, let other people have their say. I think that's what proper leadership is anyway. Is mm-hmm. let everyone else have their say rather than saying this is my way. We're doing it like and this. And I think that's the thing. Yeah, it's going back to the thing of being informed. <clears throat> yeah, informed. Being, I think. Being, listening more, being informed human beings can help a lot in the society. And although I don't, nec- I as a person don't necessarily, and no one should believe in the idea of being perfect. I don't think there's ever such a thing of um, being perfect or utopia. That's what I'm getting. I don't think we will ever, sadly, will make this wonderful ut- utopia. But I do believe we will get close. One day, when we're probably old men, yeah. <laughs> hopefully... Living off our superannuation, <laughs> um, we'll be living in a in a world where it is far more fairer than it is now. It is far more form um, not form information. It's correct. Everything's honest. We're so much more informed. We're, we're, we listen more. We care about more. And going back to like anthropological studies about how we used to come back from farming communities. I mm. wish one day. Hopefully, I don't know, we'll revert back, we'll de-evolve, and we'll live in these, I don't know, farming communities. I, was, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, but, like, this economy of care you're talking about, that sounds good. Hmm. That's all right. <laughs> oh. 
Um, so I wanted to go. So your your solo, obviously, you don't have a type. You like you, what's the ideas for your to go back to your solo stage? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm just thinking for the viewers. Or you can't watch this. See, in ten years' time, hopefully, we can also visually record this. Well, yeah, we've got the technology now. We actually, do. But... we do, but the money is not there. The money the is there, but the money isn't there. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just paint a picture. Ryan is thinking very hard right now. He's, and he's... scratching his head, <laughs> and it looks like he's pulling thoughts out of yes. and looking at them. <laughs> um, and hopefully. He's going to recognise one soon and be able to articulate. So my original thought was going back to... Solo, solo stage, moments of being. Yes. Because <laughs> um, when I did my... See, when I performed solo, when I did that um, show, when I performed... And I have this weird, like, I, I, I want to... See, right now, my artistic goal, my artistic practice, I want to work with other... Perform, but obviously work with um, um, sonographers, um, musicians. Yeah. Obviously, I do, and directors and dramaturgs and writers. I want to work with them, but I also want to work with other fellow performers. Have, have you performed solo much? Uh, that does not make sense. But No, I guess, I guess you do... I don't think publicly. I think mostly it's just, you know, you do monologues. Yeah, yeah. Growing up, and you... Sometimes, you know, I write spoken word poetry, but I very rarely share it. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't worked solo much. So, yeah, you, yeah, it's interesting. It's a very interesting process. Well, right at the start of it, so... I, I, very I, early to call anything. But, but it's, it's soon, it's soon that we have to um, make our works. But it's really exciting. I'm totally inspired by, like, what our classmates, mm. what my classmates have, like, are coming up with already. I'm like, wow, these guys, they're so good. In terms of like how they want to use technology as well, I think the the trick is we're working. So over the break, I did a six hundred seconds piece mm-hmm. with um, three of my Elise, Chris, and Tamara, and we learned a few things from that process because you you've got ten minutes to share something, and for solos it's seven minutes. Like we had mentoring through the Blue Room Theatre, Chris Isaacs from the Last Great Hunt, which is a really cool company. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he sort of spoke of the differences between a poem and a novel. And I've heard this before. I remember hearing the Australian writer Peter Goldsworthy. At our, he came and gave a lecture at our school. This is like year 11. Mm. And he also spoke of this difference. And so, yeah, we're working with poems here. as a, Novels are long, messy things. Yeah. Poems have to be precise and to the point. Yeah, I don't know why I'm really bringing that up, but that's no, something no, but that's coming yeah, to mind. It's very mechanical poetry. It can be, I feel like, it can be very mechanical and well thought. And you have to think there's this idea of thinking in advance. Yeah, it's going... Yeah, I don't know. All I know, my, my personal work is going to be... What are you looking at now? I'm looking at... Uh, I think when I first heard Moments of Being, which is the title of a collection of essays that make up Virginia Woolf's autobiography of sorts and so she talks about I might even have be able to give you the exact quote um, <laughs> thank goodness which You're far more prepared than I <laughs> maybe I won't it, it has something to do with there is this ah oh, here it is mm. I'll be able to give you the quote actually I've got it here um, <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> 
Behind the cotton wool is hidden a pattern that we, I mean all human beings, are connected with this, that the whole world is a work of art, that we are parts of the work of art. Hamlet or a Beethoven court quartet is the truth about this vast mass that we call the world, but there is no Shakespeare, there is no Beethoven, certainly and emphatically there is no God. We are the words, we are the music, we are the thing itself. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, Virginia Woolf talking about moments of being, and my initial response was being in a very scientific sense, like in that being like mm. as human being mm. and alive and so i was like and as i've spoken about it, i want to learn more about science that's my initial response and from there i think i've sort of where i'm at right now is i just want to uh try and make a story that talks about metaphorically that um interdependency of all things that i was speaking about earlier that ruth little sort of shed light on for me that you know the um what we are a part of because it's interesting. It's interesting um, historically, like how we romanticize the natural world and how this might yes. have been to its detriment because we we other it, we separate it from ourselves, and well, yeah, a lot of what um, we don't see ourselves as part of it. So I'm sort of trying to, I guess, I don't know what my solo is going to be, but I'm working against that. Well, you're totally like um, that. Reminds me of William Blake's poem: Tiger, mm. Tiger, 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 burning bright in the forest of the night. And, and how it relates to being is just like us being a part of this greater thing that's at work. And I'm not talking religiously, by the way. No, I'm talking no, very no. much about our existence, yeah, scientifically agree. speaking. We are not alone. <laughs> we do not have to look thousands upon thousands of miles in space. Intelligent life lives in Earth yeah. or on Earth. Well, you know, I don't know how intelligent, but... Oh, pretty pretty well, time. I, mean, I think bats are pretty intelligent. They can navigate caves in the dark. I can't do that. True. Elephants communicate subsonically. Yeah. They rumble underground. Whales the same. They they have sonar things going on. It's amazing. There's a documentary called Blackfish, which I believe says at one stage it's about uh, killer whales and their their mistreatment with specifically SeaWorld, like keeping these animals confined, which are meant to roam the seas. Yeah. And they do these scans of the brain of killer whales, and they're part of the brain for emotional relationships, apparently. Mm-hmm. I think if I remember the documentary correctly, is more than human beings. So they feel... Uh-huh. So those... Yeah, it's interesting. It's especially interesting when it comes to... The, what we think of intelligence as and then considering these um, non-human beings and, and how how brilliant they are. Well, yeah, killer whales are, are amazing predators. Isn't it? Yeah, it's just like when you see a killer whale, ah, oh, it looks nice, but obviously the name gives it away. It's well, a... they've never harmed a human in the wild, as it oh. were. So there's any, any cases from them being kept in captivity and reacting in response to that. Hence why, <coughs> also that reminds me, I watched this YouTube video, we have never been able to keep a great white shark in captivity. They always die. Yeah, maybe we just shouldn't keep... Or other, shouldn't keep anything. Yeah, shouldn't right? keep anything in yeah. captivity might be the argument that um, the agenda's act's pushing there. Mm. Maybe, but... You know, the pigs are apparently as smart as three-year-old children, at the very least. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, um, and they're That's like, and, yeah, and it's really sad what happens to pigs. Chickens yeah. can do arithmetic. Yeah, they can count. I'm just, and these are these are human. I'm I'm, 
I'm doing like human ideas of intelligence yeah. onto them when they've got their own systems at work already. And and cows, cows, they have they form relationships, they have friendships and stuff, and they yeah, these are, these are all important things I think to for, for human beings to consider. <laughs> like we are we are not alone in how we feel, and our our way of thinking isn't the only way, and it's not necessarily the best. As I'm looking by all my clocks, we are running out of time. So to but start, what is time? But what is time? Is it merely an imagination of, <laughs> I don't know, our investment in various spaces? Places. And places. <laughs> to, to sign off on this fantastic, insightful second chapter of the Perthian Chronicles, yes. Zach. Yeah. In the year 2027... When the robots have won. When the robots have won. <laughs> when the robots have destroyed the humans, yes. What would you like to plug? <laughs> what would I like to plug? In the sense of, you know, uh, how plugging, like, would you would you like to see yourself plugging a play? Well, I'm play? probably, um... Where do you I'm see probably yourself? behind the bar at mm-hmm. the vegan pub, the Green Lion in New South Wales. So I'm probably just... Serving up drinks there, so yeah, come on in for a drink. We're serving the green line, good vegan food, vegan pub food that will make you realize that you can live without meat. That's that's no, um, I don't know. So that's that's one scenario. What I else? Like that like, you like that scenario? I'm probably like you're the, the owner and manager after I couldn't line. get any work after this interview. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't. Uh, after graduating Whopper um, and the um, sponging off my 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 brothers and sisters <laughs> um, for ten years, no. um, I managed to get a job at the Green Line. But um, in in an exciting sense, let's try and think of. Um, I see because I feel like I like because poetry. I've never I never knew you wrote poetry. I'm not very good. I'm really not. I do, yeah. Anyway, but but I, I, I like I like I see you. I know, yeah. New South Wales. You own the Green Lion. You, you do that. That's like your money. But I feel like you're also like a guest professor at the University of New South Wales, and you're publishing like a a collective work of poetry. Oh, I, so I don't know. I feel something scholarly. I don't know. I just... What I what I will say in I sort of said this at the beginning, so it'll be nice to come back to that. Is mm-hmm. I believe in life learning, so hopefully I'm still learning. We always we should always strive to learn. And in the year 2027, oh, hope hopefully I mean Zach. At this point, I wanna yeah, I wanna talk. I wanna be making that kind of theater that we spoke about earlier. About I wanna be collaborating with other fields and learning from them. And then trying to make work that empowers people who don't often get to have their stories told. Told. So I'm not even. Hopefully, I'm not even speaking on my behalf at that stage. Hopefully, I'm letting other people do their talking and trying to facilitate that. And there's so there's so much more to learn. I I have no idea what I'll be plugging. But if it's if I'm plugging anything to do with the wonderful world that is the arts and theatre, then I'll be a happy guy. We're learning about immersive theatres this semester, mm. and yeah, I don't know much about immersive theatre yet, but I've got a feeling that I really like it, because when people are asked more of themselves, and when there's not that separation between audience and performer, it seems like 
there is more of a potential, potentially, for the audience or participants or witnesses to be transformed. And that sounds exciting. But as I said, I have no idea about it. So in 10 years, maybe I've learned a bit about it and maybe I can be trying to make some works to do with that. And hopefully there's been some great reform in government terms and there's a massive carbon tax and I don't know (laughs) there's some stuff for you hopefully you can string that together into one comprehensive sentence you can edit it together actually (laughs) um well thanks Zach for being on my podcast the second chapter still thinking of the title I think I've got the title of the the piece of the the chapter um and I'll tell you that later so I'm your chronicler, as always, Ryan Morano. This I one more, uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. No, no, I, was, um, I said this uh, for our solos. We had to do a Pecha Kucha, which is 20 slides, 20 seconds each. And I stole some of the material from that today when I was talking because I was like, at least I knew I had formed what I was saying in that scenario. But I also said, and this was spare of the moment when I was doing it, that I was like, I also want to play with the question, how will history remember us? And so I think I'm interested in that with works. How, like, how, how is history going to remember us right now? How will history remember us? I don't know. No, but no, that's... No. <laughs> and this isn't for the title. This is for the, no. like, this question. Maybe there might be more in that. Yes. You were signing <laughs> off before I rudely No, no, that's... No. How will history remember us? That is such a wonderful question to leave. I'm your chronicler, Ryan Rano. Today's author was Zachary Sheridan. Do you prefer Zach? Sher- Zach? Or, uh, um, I don't mind. Quite, it, it should be answered in 10 years' time. It's just a name. Yeah. It's a name. And you can catch Zach and many other, other wonderful um, people at Solo Stage, Moments of Being, performing at the Enright Studio <laughs> from May really, the 10th. Yeah, really cool people with very good director. Sam Chester. I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm bloody buying tickets for that. Get excited. Um, from the 10th of May, and you said hopefully it will get extended. I think there are other be. performances, matinee performances, etc. So, but they're, they're, just, they're just not on there, but I, I think we've been told that there's going to be performances at 2.30pm and things like that. So That'd be great. There's lots more time for us to really learn. How will history remember us? Goodbye. <laughs> well, yeah, if people think about that question then and think beyond our, our generation as well, then, yeah, I think we're okay because we're using a lot of the power and mm. the energy that isn't meant for us, is meant for our, our children and our children's children. <clears throat> and also our, fe- our fellow subjects in the animal kingdom. Yes, like our friends. Our friends. And our subjects. Our fellow yeah. subjects, <laughs> us... Oh, God. Yeah, our friends in the animal kingdom. Yes, yes. So, good morning. Good morning.